my freshman year of college, and I'd just gotten back from a month studying inner city ministry in Chicago with collaborative effort with Bethel and USF, and I needed to get a job. <laughs> and so I thought, I need a job that's going to be flexible. I had a work-study job in the theater set shop, but I needed a job that like actually paid me real money. And so I decided to get a job that was close enough to campus, because I only had a bike. I didn't get a car until Nikki and I got married. I had to get married to own a vehicle. And then it had to be flexible because, you know, I had work, uh, my off-season workouts with football and, and class and all these things. So I got a job at the famous Champs, Champs Sports in the Western Mall in Great Sioux Falls. Some of you are like, yes, amen, pasta a la Nikki. It was destined. My girlfriend's name was Nikki. They had a pasta a la Nikki. I was like, destined to be. And uh, the great part about it, I mean, great being terrible, is I got scheduled every Tuesday night till close, 2 a.m. And I would ride my bike there, and it was karaoke night or karaoke night, depending on where you are from in the country. And you thought, oh, this is going to be great, big tips but as the night wore on and the drinks were poured more and more, the tips somehow became less and less. What do you think of when you think of this word service? Do you think of the old service station at my heritage, Forney Oil in Pierce, South Dakota? Remember when they used to come out and pump your gas for you? If you live in New Jersey, you don't get to pump your own gas. Anyone ever experienced that? You have to pay the attendant to come out and pump your gas. Or do you think of the last meal that you had out to eat? Or do you think of the service industry, all the great people that work in the service industry? What do you think of when you hear this word, service? Today we are in uh, Paul's letter to Titus in the third chapter, talking about this idea of worship and service. Titus chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another." But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning them once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful." They are self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter here. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul's writing this letter to his 
friend, his co-laborer in, in, the, in the gospel. In the beginning, he t- refers to him as his child, who he has left on the island of Crete to establish these churches. And so what he is trying to do is help Titus understand what it looks like to start a church. And he starts off right away by talking about reminding the people of who they used to be. Who they used to be. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then he talks about what God has done for them about how God has saved them in verse 5, not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's this idea that Paul is writing to a group of people who are already believers in Jesus Christ. God has done an amazing work through the Holy Spirit to bring about a regeneration of these individuals who were once stuck in sin and now are alive in Christ. Paul says it's not because of anything they've done, but it's because of what God has done to bring about this restoration of these people. So all these people that we're talking about are people who are disciples of Christ. And he uses this word, it's often translated justified, being made right, being brought into right relationship with God. And what are they to do? Well, they are to, first and foremost, worship. Now, when we think of worship, what's the first thing that we often think about? Singing, right? You're like, yeah, I'm not really into singing. But as Buddy the Elf says, singing is just like talking, except louder and moving your voice up and down. So for those of us who talk, we can also sing. But worship is so much more than just singing, Worship is the lifestyle of the person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Worship is the full embodiment of the disciple. So that everything we do in our living and our breathing is acts of worship. I had this really interesting conversation this last week with some friends, and one of them said, well, let's let's take the Christian part out of it. And I said, you can't. You can't. You can't say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but in this instance, I'm going to take the Christianity out of my life and just live like a normal person. It's, no, you can't do that. As Paul says in his letter to the Romans, part of our being formed into the likeness of God and being transformed is an act of worship. So that what we do and who we are, from our getting up to our going to sleep, how we carry ourselves, how we talk, everything that we do should be an act of worship. And Jesus, when he's tested by Satan in the desert, he says, You shall worship God only, and him you shall serve. This idea that we are to worship God and worship God alone. And worship is a part of who we are. Yes, part of worship is coming together in what we call corporate worship, and we sing songs, but the worship isn't just the singing. 
The worship is standing out there and having a conversation and greeting each other. The worship is opening the word and hearing from God and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Worship is praying together. Worship is greeting one another, spending time together. As Amanda pointed out last week, talking about communion, this Greek word that, that we get this communion name from is about fellowship. This koinonia is fellowship, and fellowship is worship because it's done between disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to be people who worship. And worship isn't just what's done here in this building. Everything that we do as a disciple of Jesus Christ is about worship. And as Richard Foster said, as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate and escape from the pressing needs of modern life. Holy obedience, Foster says, saves worship from becoming an opiate and escape from the pressing needs of modern life. How often is it the case that we, we have certain songs that we're like, oh, I'm so excited about this song, <laughs> this one worship song, because it makes me feel a certain way. Well, this, this la that song, yeah, that could go. That, I don't, nah, like, not really into that song. But when we limit worship, when we limit worship to only singing songs, it's a bit like a caffeine-free Diet Coke. <laughs> You're like, what's the point? <laughs> there's no caffeine, and there's no sugar. Worship is about a lifestyle, and as Paul talks about over and over, worship is about service and obedience to what God has called us to. You know, growing up, there was always this dream that one day I would arrive at the bank status where I would have my own Jeffrey, where I could sit down and say, Jeffrey, bring me a glass of water, please. Jeffrey, pull up the car. Jeffrey, could you drive me to such and such? Some of you are like, who's Jeffrey? He was the butler for the Banks family. What if I told you that you had the ability to change someone's life? You had the ability to change someone's life. Would you believe me? Yesterday, Nikki and I were walking into Home Goods, one of my favorite stores. <laughs> it's not, actually. And we saw this young gal that we haven't seen in a long time, and we both commented, isn't it amazing how that family invested in that young lady's life and look at her now? What if you believe that you had the ability to change a person's life? It's interesting because Paul, in another letter that he writes, his first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 12, he talks about the church as the body of Christ. And in that body, each person, each part has a role to play. It's like growing up in my family, each of us had a role to play. And on Saturdays, there was checklists that had to be accomplished before you were free to go outside. And I know I've made this statement before. I lived in a house. My mom would say, I don't have a dishwasher. I have three of them. And on the calendar, 
it would say B-A-E, so there was no debating on whose day it was to do the dishes. Everyone had a role to play. Paul says over and over to Titus, he talks about the importance of the body of Christ doing good works. Now, to be clear, they have been saved by God's grace and mercy. They've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The works are an after the fact. He says earlier in the letter to Titus that they be zealous to do good works. Good works. Zealous to do these things. And he says over and over the importance of doing good works. Because service is an act of worship. As Andy Stanley points out, that there are 59 different one another's that take place in the New Testament. Things that we are to do as followers of Jesus Christ to one another. And the challenging thing for me in this is it can become very easy for us to participate in this navel-gazing type of faith. Where our service is all about us. Either us in this building or us as ourselves. And so the challenge becomes, please don't hear this as the only service that matters is service that happens in this building. Because that is 100% not true. And it's also the case that the service that happens in this building is extremely important. Because the body serves the body. And when I first started at Timberwood almost 14 years ago, it was like, well, who does this? Volunteers. Who does this? Volunteers. Who does this? Volunteers. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what do we pay for? We don't have a, like a maintenance guy that does this stuff or a gal? Nope. All volunteers. I'm like, well, this should be interesting. <laughs> See how this works. And yet every single week I pull in the parking lot various days and I'm like, there's people here, the body, serving the body and doing this thing called worship through service. Because service is also an act of outreach. Service is about worship. Service is also an act of outreach. Have you ever had that experience, right? Like you walk up, I guess I can just do it because I have my cup here. You're so excited. Like maybe you ha you're like, woke up a little late, not going to make coffee at home. Why would I pay for Stonehouse coffee? Why don't you just get it free at church? And, and you go and you're like, are you kidding me? And then you do the, the, the unthinkable and you tip, you tip the thing. Let me give you a tip. The hole is on the bottom. Tipping it isn't going to miraculously produce more coffee out of the carafe. Or you have that experience, you know, you're in the restroom, and before you leave the restroom, you wash your hands, right? And then you go swipe your hand. You swipe your hand. You swipe your hand. Where are all the paper towels? Or you go to drop your child off in the nursery because you finally arrived here early by a miracle of God. And the nursery's dark. And you're like, why did I even get up early? 
Or how many times have you walked in in the summertime and said, wow, look at these flowers. This stuff doesn't just happen. This stuff doesn't just miraculously happen. Paper towels don't just refill themselves. A friend of mine for the longest time believed that his wife had bought magic salt and pepper shakers, but they just randomly refilled themselves. Like, Todd, uh, that doesn't just happen. We have incredible volunteers that make this place work, and it's on Sundays and Mondays and almost every single day of the week. Looking at the list this last week, it was like, look at all these people who hear the words of Paul over and over to devote ourselves to good works, and they are responding to the call on their lives. As John quoted a few weeks ago in his, ser- in his sermon on leadership from Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. This idea that service is worship and service is leadership and service is outreach. Service is about taking seriously Jesus' command to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Because let's just be honest, right? Given the option to sleep in, it's Sunday, like Lord's Day, It's the Sabbath. I don't feel like getting up at six and coming in and baking. (laughs) But the, the treats don't just miraculously like poof, come out of thin air. Or on a Monday morning, ah, yeah, I just don't really feel like getting up early and going in and cleaning the church before I go to work. But this call to deny ourselves and take up our cross, service takes sacrifice, and volunteering puts others' needs and desires before our own. And that's what Paul is writing to Titus about. He's talking about as you live and breathe and exist as a disciple on this island of Crete, The body of Christ is to devote themselves to doing good works because that is what it means to be a disciple, is to do good works, not to become saved, not to be in better favor with God, but because that is what it means to be a disciple. It means to worship and serve one another. Attending uh, college, we went to this church in Sioux Falls called Hillcrest, it was up on the hill in Sioux Falls. Sorry. Too much Sioux Falls jokes. And I'll never forget one Sunday, one of the most stinging sermons I think I've ever heard in that church was about this person that didn't go to our church. And their name was someone else. The reality is we can be led to believe, and we look around, we're like, look at all these people, I don't need to volunteer because look at all these people. Except it takes all of us to contribute to the body. It takes all of us to pitch in. Because we all need each other. There are children in our program, in in Timberwood Kids, that need you. 
There's youth of Timberwood Church that need you. The people that you don't know that had the courage to come to church today and aren't even sure about this thing called faith in Jesus Christ or participating in this thing called church need you. They need us. The person sitting next to you needs you. And you need them. And this cannot stop within the walls of these of this building. As Paul says, let our people, let those who are disciples of Jesus Christ learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. This is why we volunteer at the bridge and why we, and why we volunteer at the soup kitchen and, and do all these things because being a disciple means serving others. And I understand that, that there's so, so much that happens outside this building. And the reality is there's an immense need for people to volunteer in this building. Because by volunteering in this building, we can participate in this thing called outreach right here in this building. And it takes sacrifice on our part. And I know that... I know that some of you have experienced pain and hurt in church contexts around this topic of volunteering. And I hear you, and I feel that pain, and I see you. And when you hear this idea, this call to participate in volunteering, you're immediately transported back to that pain that you've experienced by somebody that calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ and has used you. And I wish I could go back and redo that. I wish I could go back and change that outcome. And so it's like, you know, when you eat something and then you get the flu and then you're like, I'm never going to eat that thing again. Too vivid of a, of a description. That's volunteering for you. It's like, yeah, been there, done that. Still have a burn on my tongue from the hot honey that I ate on Friday and I'm, I'm not going to go there. And I know some of you are hanging on for dear life right now. Like the thought of adding even a half more thing just pushes you over the edge. And I hear you and I see you and I feel that. Because life so often is so overwhelming in ways that we don't even know as we sit and live and breathe and communicate with each other in our own body because we hide and shelter the reality that we are experiencing because we don't want to experience criticism, judgment, and shame from other people. And so if that's where you're at, I get it. But for many of us, that's just not the case. That is just not the case. So when we hear the words of Paul to do good works, we have a choice to make. What would it take to change your mind? What would it take to take a chance on volunteering here in this building, to living into this concept of worshiping one and serving one. One hour a week of the 168 hours that we have in the week, as Amy astutely pointed out on, on Wednesday morning in a, in a meeting, we might not all have the same amount of money, but we all have the same amount of time. We wake up each day, and we have 24 hours, and we get a choice on how we're going to spend them. 
Mother Teresa said, love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is service. So just write it on your card, volunteering. Maybe you already volunteer. Invite someone to volunteer with you. One of the great volunteering books that I read, it's not even a big book, this idea that people volunteer for other people. You have the ability to reach people that I cannot, and those people will volunteer with you and for you, and they run the other way when I come. Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you've been hurt and you don't want to get involved. I would love to just talk and hear your story and pray with you and see what the Holy Spirit can do. As Paul writes to Titus, these people have been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the Almighty God, and and by God doing this work in these people's lives, it propels them on to this life of worship and service. To live a life of worship that involves serving each other. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love the desire that you have to be in relationship with me and with us. Holy Spirit, you have done a transforming work in our lives. You have washed us and made us new to propel us into this life of service. Jesus, you have set the example. May we follow in your footsteps as your disciples, being committed to this thing called worshiping and serving together. Not as something we do, but as a part of who we are, a way of life. In Jesus' name, amen.